this uh, evening, I want to speak about natural evangelism, and I want to talk about salvation for the whole family. My text is from Acts chapter 16, uh, reading from verses 30 to 34, and Acts chapter 16 is the episode where Paul and Silas are in prison in Philippi. They start singing. It's midnight. They are in stocks and chains. There is a great earthquake. The chains are loose. When the jailer sees them, he realizes that they're all free. They're going to escape. He tries to kill himself. And this is what Paul said uh, to him. When he sees that, he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Watch this please, ladies and gentlemen. You and your household. When they, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in the house. And he took them and at the same hour, in the same night, washed their stripes and immediately, watch this, immediately, he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into the house, he set food before him, them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Every now so often, I will do a personal diagnostics of our church to review areas that our, where our community needs strengthening. To a large extent, I think Cornerstone is a fairly healthy and strong church in most departments. I think we're relatively strong in the prophetic. We have a strong prophetic flow in the church. Our family life ministries, our church cell ministries are strong and healthy in my opinion, all right? Our teaching and training equipping ministry is healthy. The prayer life in this church is fairly robust, but I guess prayer is one of those things that we can always work on. There's always deeper levels of prayer. Our spreadsheet, spreadsheet is healthy as well. But the one area of concern in our church is the area of evangelism. I spoke to my pastors. We talked about this. It was unanimous. We all felt that if there was one area in the church that needs to be strengthened, it is the area of evangelism and personal witnessing. Now, it's not like nobody's witnessing, all right? We have a healthy over 300 baptisms every year. And out of the 300 baptisms, 75% are new converts, brand new converts. So there's a whole lot of witnessing going on. There's a whole lot of new people coming to the church. But I think that we can ramp this up. So for the month of June, for two weekends, we're having evangelist J. John. J. John is one of my dearest friends. He's going to come and speak on the subject of natural evangelism and specialized training sessions for all the people in Cornerstone who are called to preach and teach the Word of God. And believe me when I say this, that whatever we emphasize in the church, we often see manifesting. If I preach on healing over the next four weekends, I assure you we will see a spike in the number of healings in Cornerstone, for sure. The Lord always honors His Word, amen. If I preach four weekends on the subject of giving, over the next four weekends, you are going to see a spike in the, in the level of givings in our church. If I speak over the next four weekends on the blood of Jesus, you are going to see many breakthroughs and people being set free. Whatever subjects we focus on, we will see manifesting. But I realize that we have not been preaching on the subject of witnessing and evangelism. So over the next few months, me and my colleagues will be zeroing on the subject of natural evangelism and I know for a fact that we are going to see a spike in our witnessing and in souls being saved. Amen. But we don't just want this to be a response to the message. We want this to be a second nature thing, a lifestyle for every believer here in Cornerstone so that when you are in a taxi or a grab, uh, you, you, well, well, you are waiting for the opportunity 
to witness. I do that all the time. If I take a grab or if I'm in a taxi, I'm waiting for the time to say to the person who's driving me, what do you believe will happen to you five seconds after you're dead? That's a good place to start. Amen. And uh, it, people are always willing to talk. I'm telling you this. When I'm at a restaurant now, I'm watching the waiter. I'm watching the waitress to say, to see if there's an opportunity to, 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 to share a word. The best way to do that is, hey, while you're serving us, before we eat the meal, we're going to be praying a prayer. While we pray the prayer, would it be okay if we just pray for you? Hallelujah. Something like this. Like something non-intrusive, something that opens the conversation. I just came from a luncheon. One of our staff got married. So I was at the hotel, at the Conrad Hotel. And the lady serving me, I didn't have to witness to her. She says, you're Pastor Young, right? Come on, hallelujah. She says, I said, how do you know? She says, I've been following your messages. Come on, hallelujah. She's from another church, but she's been following the, the messages here at the Cornerstone. The Barna Institute surveys, surveyed Christians and found out that 90% of visitors that come to the church uh, are invited by people who have been Christians less than one year. So evangelism has to be intentional or we will go back to our default behavior. What's default behavior? Indifference, right? Uh, you know, and, but we need to put this witnessing and evangelism at the forefront of what we do. Now, the first thing I want to talk about, I know this is on the heart of God. It's burning in me, right? I, I tell you this, every time I stand up in this pulpit, I have butterflies in my stomach. I preach for 33 years. I still have butterflies when I stand up. But 33 years later, I learned how to make, them sh make sure all of them fly in the right direction. Hallelujah. But I'm always nervous when I speak because I feel the, the fire and the presence of God. I feel like the Lord wants to discharge a word. And the first thing I want to talk about today is the salvation of our families. The closest thing on earth to our Heavenly Father is His family. And that's where Satan has focused much of his attacks on. Our homes are in disarray and in confusion. And I tell you this, I'm hearing of people divorcing ministries, ministers of the gospel divorcing their wives, wives divorcing their husbands, children not attending church, children in rebellion, all in Christian families. And it's time for us to say, no, we got to stop this, amen. And I tell you this, we, 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 uh, there's been a massive attack a satanic attack on the families like never before. He hates families. He hates marriages. But God's great plan of salvation includes the whole family. You might be the only person in your family who is saved, a first generation Christian. But the moment you got saved, God's plan and God's will is for everyone in your family to be saved. That is His will. When the Roman jailer said, what must I do to be saved? Paul immediately brings his whole family into the equation. And he says, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only you, but your whole family shall be saved. The same thing happened to a woman called Rahab the harlot. If you recall, she assisted two spies uh, from Israel as they went into Jericho and the, to spy the land. And the spies by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says to Rahab, call all your family together to this house. And if we attack Jericho and you're found in this house, we will save all of you. Hallelujah. But they must stay in this house. One woman gives her life to God, offers her service to God, and her whole family is saved because of her. God has no plan B. This is God's plan A. Families. Hallelujah. Families. And I want you to say, know that all of the beautiful ties of home and family are eternal. Amen. You know, there's a wonderful truth in the Bible. 
in the tabernacle of Moses called the ransom offering. If you've never read this before, you should read it. This offering was taken whenever a census of the children of Israel was done and everyone above the age of 20 was to give this offering of half a shekel of silver regardless of their standing in society. It was compulsory. Both rich and poor gave the same amount, no exceptions. The shekels were then collected and melted into silver sockets that were made out of them and then the, the poles and the gates of the tabernacle were hung on these sockets. Why? It was God indicating to all of Israel that His plan for salvation includes every person, includes every clan, includes every family. He wants all their names to be written before Him. Hallelujah. And it's the salvation of families that hold up the house of God. That's the whole picture. These sockets hold up the house of God. Cornerstone is as strong as our families are strong and this has to be a memorial before him and that's why every person every person had to give the ransom offering because God wants everybody saved now the devil wants to destroy families he seeks to cause husbands to lose their feelings for their wives and vice versa he he likes to cause restlessness he wants children to rebel against their parents and parents to hate each other but Satan is not going to get away with it God has a backup plan we find this beautifully described in the story of Esther. When there was a threat of total annihilation of the Jewish people, Mordecai came to Esther, who was the queen, to remind her that God had providentially placed her in the place of authority in the king's palace and that she had an obligation and a responsibility to deliver her people from certain annihilation. And this is what he said. I want you to listen very carefully. He said, if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place, from another source. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. In other words, Esther, don't be naive. God's plans for His people will never be thwarted by the enemy. You are in a position to do something about it. But if you don't, it's okay. God will raise somebody else to do the job. His plans for His people will not be thwarted, but you will never live to see the day of His deliverance. Come on. I tell you, this is a serious... It's interesting, you know, that Saul was given uh, the, 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 the mandate to destroy the Amalekites. Did you know this? So he didn't do the job. He allowed them to exist. And 20 generations later, God had to clear the mess to Esther. But did you know that Esther and Mordecai were from the same tribe as Saul? And so God says, 20 generations ago, I gave your ancestor an opportunity to clean up this mess. He did not do it. 20 generations later, 600 years later, I'm giving you the same opportunity to do what your ancestor has not done. He is a God of the second chance. And I tell you that many times God gives you an opportunity to do something and sometimes you fail in life, but your children take on the same responsibility. Amen. It's really important for us to understand that God, God's plans for us are intergenerational. Hallelujah. Someone say amen. Amen. God's, God is everything that God has decreed, my friends, will come to pass. Bound to happen. When God decrees a word, it is irreversible. When He speaks an irresistible force is set in motion and nothing can stop it. It has to happen. God's will and God's word will never return void to Him. Now, each plan that God has embarked upon includes people. 
that He has chosen for the task. But people are not irreversibly bound through the plan unless they choose to be. So God predestined events, but He does not predestine people for the fulfillment of those events. Let me explain this to you. So say God has a plan for our community and He has raised you to be part of the team to bring about transformation. You say no to the Lord, it's okay. He will raise somebody else to do your job, but His plans will not be thwarted. Amen. No one is indispensable. But if you say yes to Him, he will, and if you will link arms with Him, then you are not only going to be part of His great plan of redemption, you will also experience great joy and blessing. That's what exactly Mordecai said to Esther. You, can, you have a part to play in this, but if you don't, it's okay. God will raise somebody else. God chose me and this congregation to redeem the Bible College of Wales. When He did that, He told me very clearly, I am giving you the first right of refusal. And he made that very clear to me. He said, I have chosen you. I have chosen your people to redeem the Bible College of Wales. But he also made it very clear to me that if I refused it, he would have raised somebody else to do the job, another vessel. One way or another, he said, I will redeem the Bible College of Wales because so many people have cried out to me and I am a faithful God and I will answer their prayer. In the same way, God has chosen you to partner with Him in this great work He is doing, but He will not hold you to it. It has to be your choice. You must be willing to make the choice. God is at work, Satan is at work, and those two opposing forces will collide, but God has already determined and decreed the victory. Come on, hallelujah. Now, many of you in this room are praying for your family members to be saved. When you pray for them to be saved, immediately God begins His work of redemption and He's going to do everything He can to bring them to a point where it will be easy for them to say yes to Him. That's a good, that's a good place to say amen. Let me just repeat that. When you pray for your loved ones, your family members to be saved, immediately God begins to work the work of redemption and He is going to do everything He possibly can to bring them to a point where it is easy for them to say yes to Him. God does not make it hard for people to receive salvation. Don't listen to all those naysayers, you must do this, you must do that before you can be saved. No sir, all He requires is that you come to Him, believe and acknowledge that He is Lord and invite Him to come in. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, hallelujah. You know, a fisherman catches the fish, then he cleans it. Hallelujah. Amen. The whole desire of God is to bring your whole family to salvation. He's not looking at ways to cast you away. He's looking for the very reason to save you and to hold on to you. And Jesus told us to pray and keep on praying and not be discouraged. Why? Because He's on the job. And he has released the whole company of angels to bring circumstances to make it difficult for family members to resist God in your household. Hallelujah. Amen. When we pray, angels are dispatched to remove obstacles, roadblocks, scatter the enemy, and clear the pathway for people to receive Christ. Remember when the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah in the temple. What did he say to Zechariah? He said, Zechariah, your prayers are heard. Now, Zechariah was probably stumped. And he's probably thinking, oh, which prayer 
are you referring to? He had no idea. The angel said, remember the prayer that you wanted a son. God says he was answering that prayer. Now, Zechariah was very old at this stage. He and his wife were both way past childbearing age, totally forgotten about the prayer, but God has not forgotten the prayer. And God hears the prayers every time you pray for your family. I want you to know it touches the very depths of God's heart because He's a family man. He hears your prayer and oftentimes, long after you've forgotten the prayers and you say, how can my son ever come back? How can my children ever come to Jesus? How can my parents ever come to Jesus? How can my uncles and aunties ever come to Jesus? You trust the Lord to do His business. Amen. I tell you this, we sometimes need to trust Him to do the work because He knows His job better than us. Amen. We do our job, let Him do His job. Come on, somebody say Amen. He, restored, he, he desires to have our homes be restored, fill them with love and purpose. He desires to restore communication between children and parents. Parents, He wants your kids to be, uh, you and your kids to be best friends. He really does. He wants your kids to love you. He wants your kids to respect you. Amen. And He wants to break down those walls of hatred and enmity. Long before He formed the church, He formed the family. Amen. So when we pray, the Holy Spirit begins to work in reaching of family members, He is the one who draws them to Christ and He is the one who dispatches angels to do the work. Now these angels, listen very carefully, please. I, I've, I've searched this out in Scripture. These angels never get discouraged. These angels, they never get, they don't know what discouragement is. When they, all they know is that when they're assigned a task by the Father, by the Lord Jesus, they just keep plodding until the person responds. If the person refuses the gospel, then the angel starts the cycle all over again to bring the person to another point in future where they're given another opportunity to receive the gospel. And if the person refuses, they start the cycle all over again to bring the person to another point somewhere down the future to receive the, the gospel. They don't ever stop and they don't ever get discouraged. Thank God that we have a company of angels working for us. How do I know this is true? Because it happens to us in the reverse. You keep stumbling and falling. Oh God, please forgive me. And God brings you back to the same point two years later, two months later, two weeks later. He brings you back to the same point and you might, you might thinking, you are thinking to yourself, I've seen this before and you keep stumbling and you bring, He brings you back to the same point two months later because He wants you to pass. And if you fail, he keeps on, the cycle keeps on going on and on because he wants to bring you to a place where you'll finally, finally say, yes, Lord. He's setting you up for you to pass, not to fail. Lord, help these people. It's so quiet today. <laughs> now when you pray to God for, for him to save your family, trust the process. Trust Him to do the job. Stop pestering your family members. Stop trying to shove the gospel down their necks. Stop trying to put scriptures all over the place in the toilet and everything, Jesus loves you, Jesus. Don't irritate them. God is at work. He knows His work. He's really good at this. You do your job, let Him do His job. Your job and my job is to pray and then entrust then to the Lord and be patient. A whole company of angels is working for your behalf. I know for some of your kids, it's a whole battalion of angels. 
But God is very gracious. He's got a lot of angels. Amen. And it might take years, but you keep at it. You keep praying because your father's desire is that your whole family get saved. When you get saved alone, whether you're a son or whether you're a father, or whether mother, whatever position you hold in the family, it is the desire to save all your family members. That is the will of the Father. And that's what I'm trying to convey to you. God loves you and He loves all your family. I, I want to just say that over the years, you know I preach a strong message. And through the years, I think God has been mellowing me a little. And I think that as, as I, the older I grow, I see a side of God that I've never seen before. And I realize maybe, Lord, maybe I've, I've been a too hard maybe here, maybe I've been a too hard there, because I realize God is so patient with me. He's so patient with us. He loves us with an incredible love. I, I cannot explain, but I'm in this season in my life now that I'd rather be in the Bible College of Wales in my room praying than standing here preaching to you. Honestly, if you ask me, that would be my desire. But I have a calling, I have a ministry. All I want to be is I want to be in His presence. The longer I am in His presence, the more I realize He's transforming me, He's changing me into His likeness. I think I've become a better person, hallelujah, just by learning to stay in the longer in His presence. Amen. I want to encourage you, my friends, there's so much that God is doing in this hour. And he's drawing his children into a deeper place. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association disclosed that on the average, it takes 21 contacts before a person gives his or her life to Jesus. 21 contacts. What does that mean? It means that evangelism is often a process, not an event. Relatively few people receive Christ the first time they heard the gospel. How many of you did that? The first time you heard the gospel, you said, that's exactly what I want. How many of you? I don't see not a single hand. But I tell you that I did. I did. The first time I heard the gospel. And I tell you why it happened. Because there was a grace that was working in me. It was called prevenient grace. I'll explain this to you in a few moments. There was a grace that was already working in me. My aunties, my mom, all got saved during the charismatic renewal. And all they could speak about was God, God, God. All they could speak about. The dinner table, Jesus did that. Jesus did that. Jesus did that. Jesus did that. Who's this Jesus? And so he's doing all these amazing miracles. And I'm listening as a young boy. I'm listening to all the miracles. I'm listening to all the stories. And I was intrigued about this Jesus. Oh, this Jesus that I started speaking. What is this speaking to? I started healing the sick. And oh, I got so intrigued. But when the gospel was shared with me for the first time, I said, that's exactly what I want. I want to know this Jesus. Hallelujah. For the majority of us, it took several encounters, maybe more than several encounters, before faith was finally released to, in our hearts to receive Christ. So each person sows a little, adds a little more, and adds a little more, breaks down the resistance a little more. Every kind deed, every glass of water, every kind word, every little kind gesture, gesture given in Jesus' name, adds to the mix. Theologians call this prevenient grace, prevenient grace. And it's prevenient grace is the grace that works on a pre-believer to prepare him for salvation. That's what happened to me. The prevenient grace was working in my heart to receive the gospel so that when the gospel is preached, I received it the moment I heard it because I knew it was the truth. So we got to give some people slack, some people space because the issues of the heart take time. God will send someone whom you least expect to bring your son, your daughter, your parents, your loved ones to Christ. 
And then you see them at Chinese New Year and they're all smiling and you say, I, I, what are, are you, how are you? Oh, I just found Jesus. And you say, oh my goodness, not in 20 years can I believe that. How did this happen? Something happened, something happened. You know, you, you prayed for them and God heard those prayers and He's going to bring them to Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. There's a wonderful covenant in the Bible in Psalms 89 and verses 32 to 37. It's called the sure mercies of David. In this covenant, God says to, the, to David, He says, I'm going to make this covenant with you. If your kids go astray and drift from me, He says, I'm going to discipline them with the rod of men. I'll discipline them. I'll punish them. But He says, my faithfulness will never be taken away from them. He says, my, I will never be unfaithful concerning the promises I give to you. You just need to make sure that you are in that covenant. God, I don't know how many times I must say, Lord, make me this covenant, the shurmas, and God has made me this covenant. I tell you this, I know as a fact that I'm standing here, God has promised me that all my children shall be saved. Hallelujah. No matter where they are right now, whatever state they are, God is going to get a hold of them. Hallelujah. Now we often hear how God justifies the godly, and that is true. But we also need to hear that God is very willing to justify the ungodly as well and bring them to repentance, Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. That's why I believe the church will never be complete until all the backslidden children come back to the Lord. Amen. If you are sitting here today and you say, Pastor, my kids are far from Jesus, I tell you this, God has placed a very high premium on our children. He will, we are not to lose even one. That's why... The good shepherd leaves the 99 and he goes looking out for the one lost sheep. God loves the backslider. He's married to them. And we will again, this is a prophecy that I want to give to you. We will again see a massive return of the backsliders in our generation. Jesus will not come back. He will not come back. He will not come back until the backsliders are returned to Him. Amen. Very quickly, three parables that Jesus gave that dealt specifically with the issue of the restoration of the backslider. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son. Each of these parables describe a category of believer who is lost and needs to be rescued and restored. The first parable, very quickly, and I'll close with this, is the parable of the lost sheep, is the backslider who's backslidden through ignorance. The sheep wanders from the flock and it loses its ways and it needs to be rescued. And so the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep in a safe place and then goes out looking for that one lost sheep and when he finds it, brings it back and that's great rejoicing. The parable of the lost coin is a backslider who has, who's lost as a result of neglect. Now coins don't wander off by themselves, okay? They're lost because of neglect. And usually there are people in the church who because of the neglect of, I guess, the shepherds, they, they get lost along the way and you, you have to search for them. You just have to search out for them. And finally, then the third parable is the parable of the prodigal who is a backslider who is lost because of his self-will. In the first two parables, the shepherd goes out to look for the lost sheep. The woman turns the house upside down to look for the lost coin. But in the third parable, the father waited, 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 waited because you cannot restore someone who is left by their own accord, by their own self-will. You cannot restore someone. They have to come to their senses and they must repent. They must make the way back to the father. Amen. So what do we do? We pray that they come to their senses. Amen. This is my job. This is your job. We pray for our wayward children. Lord, that they may come to their senses. Amen. I want to tell one more scripture. I, I don't want to belabor the point, but Revelation eleven fifteen. if you allow me, just to take five, five more minutes. The seventh angel blew his trumpet 
and there was loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world has become, become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ and He shall reign forever. This is the period of the second coming and I want to draw your attention to the word become. Here is a promise that the kingdoms of this world is moving forward to a state of transition somewhere in the future where they will one day become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. This is the ultimate destiny of planet Earth. Hallelujah. It is to become the kingdoms of our Lord. Singapore will become the Lord's. Amen. Malaysia will become the Lord's, hallelujah. All these nations around, they will submit to Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of heaven and earth, amen. Now, this is non-negotiable. The Father has already promised it. How does this transition take place? The, the key is in the word become. It's the same word that's used in the transfiguration of Jesus in Matthew chapter 17, when He was transfigured. One moment He was in the natural, the next moment supernatural. One moment He was in His natural clothing, the next moment He was wearing beautiful heavenly garments. Uh, one moment He was ordinary, the next moment He was glorious. It means totally transform instantaneously. And this gives us an idea of how the kingdom of, of this world would one day become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. It would be instantaneous. It would be fully visible. One moment it's the kingdoms of this world. Bam! The next moment it's the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And this word king become gives me great hope. Why? Because a broken marriage can become a godly happy marriage. Rebellious children can become obedient children. An ungodly man can become a godly man. A corrupt businessman can become an upright and honourable businessman. Amen? A crooked politician can become a straight and honest politician that needs more grace, but it can happen. <laughs> I saw a politician in Wales. It was so cold. He had his hands in his own pocket. Come on, think about that. And also, we can hope that homosexuals can become heterosexuals again. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I was preaching here in Cornerstone. I talked about how abortion was a sin and needs to be repented. A young 16-year-old girl came up and she was almost ready to fight with me physically. I mean, her eyes were on fire. She was angry. She was... I, I touched her. I said, can I pray for you? She said, don't touch me. And she's ready for a, a, a man. You know, she was just ready. She was so angry. And I said, you know, young lady, if uh, your mother did, aborted you, you wouldn't be standing here. I wish my mother had killed me. I wish my mother had aborted me. And I could tell there were demons in her. So I, you know, but it's okay. I attract people like that all the time in my meetings. So <laughs> God wants all your family members to be saved. I have a few more things I want to say to you, but I want to tell you that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn it, but through His Son, through Him, the world might be saved. Amen. J. John always said this, he did not come to rub it off, he rub it in, he came to rub it off, amen. He did not come to call the world, the righteous to repentance, but sinners to repentance. Jesus spent his whole life engaging with the kind of people most of us spend our whole lives trying to avoid. Some people are resistant to the gospel, at least initially, but once they taste and see the goodness of the Lord, their resistance start to wear off. Don't give up on your kids especially if they're back, backslidden. They are coming back. And His restoration will be so great. I tell you this, it will be like as though they had never sinned before. As though they had never sinned before. When Jesus died on the cross, I tell you one of the things He did. Three days and three nights, He was in hell. He was surrounded by the hordes of hell, by death and by Hades. They surrounded Him. And there He was, Jesus, tasting death 
for every single one of you. And when he went up to heaven, I tell you this, my friends, he brought his blood with him, the blood that he shed at Calvary. And he sprinkled that blood on that mercy seat in heaven and pronounced clean. And then he took his blood and he sprinkled it on every single book in heaven and every record and handwriting against you was washed away because of his blood. Don't you ever forget that. He died to wash us from all our sins. All our sins were cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And he said in the book of Isaiah, one of the most outstanding and incredible things that God has ever said. He said, the sin I will remember no more. When God says, my, your sin I will remember no more. You don't, every time you, you stumble into sin, listen, you, you know, Lord, I'm so sorry. I get, listen, I'm telling you, you need to grow up and say, Lord, I thank you for the blood. I confess my sins, but I thank you for the blood. And I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And grow up and make you, and become strong in the Lord and stop sinning, hallelujah. Amen. Turning water into wine. Took Jesus just a few seconds. But changing Simon to a Peter took years. Years. Which is the greater miracle? Transmuting nature or transforming human nature? Christine Kane says between potential and purpose is process. God looks at you, He doesn't look at what you are today. He looks at what you want to be. And that's how he deals with you. What do you want to be in your heart? What do you want from God today? Every morning I step prayers, I pray, but there are two prayers that I pray and I, every morning I say the same thing. I said, Lord, don't deny me this. Two prayers, I pray many things, but these two prayers, don't deny me. But those prayers, none of your business, hallelujah. <laughs> He sees what you want to become. He deals with you by what you want to be. And many of us identify with Simon Peter, you know, and his flaws and probably putting his foot in his mouth. One occasion he swore and even said, I don't know this Jesus. And he cussed. But 50 days later, he stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached and 3,000 people were swept into the kingdom. God knows you, amen. And he is a father and he loves you. You say, Pastor, how do you know this? I'm close with this because I'm a father. And I love my children. And I only want what's the best for them. And I tell you this. Listen, I'm proud of all my children. It doesn't matter how many times they fail. I'm always going to be there for them. And I've already chosen in my heart. I don't care how many times they sin or fail. I'm going to forgive them already. I've already chosen to forgive them. I have chosen to forgive them. And they can come to me anytime. My hands are always open. I'm always ready to stand with them. Always. When God called you and I, He already factored in all our stupidity. So that when you make a mistake, oh God, I didn't think you expected that. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Tell you one more story, I close with this. One, not one of our favorite stories. A friend of mine met him many years ago. We lost contact, but his name was Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort is standing in Central Park, I think in New York City. He's preaching, he's about to preach the gospel. The wind's blowing, it's terribly cold, freezing, windy day. And there's a band playing behind him and there's noise and he's about to be preaching. And it's cold, his hands are in his pocket. And uh, they, the permit only allows him to preach for, for 20 minutes. And so he's, he's standing there, it's freezing cold. And he mutters to himself, he says, boy, surely not worth preaching the gospel today. 
And then the moment he said that, a piece of paper was rumbling in the wind and hit his, his trouser. He took it up and it was a torn page of a Bible. And on the page of the Bible, it says, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. And he realized how much God loved people. You think of something like this happening, the coincidence of something like this. You are thinking it's not worth preaching the gospel and God sends a piece of paper to you right at that moment and saying, woe is you if you don't preach the gospel. Can we stand up on our feet, please? I tell you this, God loves people so much. They, they mean something. God loves people, amen. God loves people. He loves your families more than you will understand, more than you will know. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me today before you close, He wants every one of you to bring your family members to the Lord. By name, by name, those who are saved, those who are unsaved, just bring them to the Lord. If all your family members, all your children are saved, parents are saved, pray for your extended family. I'm sure there's somebody in your family member who do not know Jesus. But the moment you pray, immediately, I tell you this, immediately your prayers are answered and God goes to work straight away. Immediately, heaven responds to this one prayer almost immediately. Angels are dispatched. The Holy Spirit gets into action and they create opportunities for the person that you're praying for to receive salvation. I stand here and God is my witness. I, I know surely that that is true. That if we will pray with all our hearts and sincere prayers are going to be heard by God today. And God is going to jump into action. And then we've got to trust Him for the process. We've got to say, God, I trust you. Somewhere down the road, the person is going to respond. You start praising the Lord. You start thanking the Lord. Bring the person up before the Lord in remembrance. Sometimes continually, we pray. Jesus said, when you pray, you pray with persistence. So I'm going to ask, give you an opportunity. I know the Holy Spirit is here. I was, I'm, I've been very, very uh, burdened about this service because I know that the result of this service is going to be the result of many souls being saved. Many of your families. And I'm going to ask you just to do one thing. When you hear of a family member being saved, write it to share it with the church. Write it to us and say, Pastor, on that such and such a day we prayed, on such and such a day my cousin responded. On such and such a day my parents responded. I tell you, you will be surprised. One day you're going to walk into your home and your parents will say, Hey son, guess what? We gave our lives to Jesus. And you think to yourself, Oh, is that possible? Hallelujah. God is at work. Amen. Amen. My wife's here. She testified. She came back one day. That's what her mom said. I've decided to follow your Jesus. Hallelujah. Then another time she came back, all the idols were gone. All the idols were gone. She said, I don't want these idols anymore. I want to follow Jesus. And on Monday, she will be 101 years of age. Hallelujah. What a, what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God. listen to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.